This is You Talking To Me, the podcast that takes a film, a 13-year-old boy, puts them together to see what happens next. James and I view each movie and ask if it still has the power to excite, intrigue and inspire. This is Man Vs. Boy Film Analysis. Hi, and welcome to You Talking To Me. For each episode, we choose a classic movie for James to watch for the first time. This could be a critically acclaimed oldie or an iconic film from any era, then we watch it together. From this shared experience, we discuss what he thought of it to see if it still appeals to a younger, modern audience. In this episode, we'll be discussing Casablanca. Hi, James, how are you? Uh, Hi, I'm good, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. So, released in 1942, Casablanca is directed by Michael Curtis and based on the play Everybody Comes to Rick's. The film stars Humphrey Bogart as Rick Blaine, Ingrid Bergman as Ilsa Lund, and Paul Heinrich as Victor Laszlo. The cast also includes Claude Rains as Captain Renault, and Sidney Greenstreet and Peter Lorre, who had both worked with Bogart in the previous year's The Maltese Falcon. It's a popular classic, one of the most beloved movies of all time, and is number nine on my top ten movies of all time. James, I'm expecting some high ratings here. IMDb is 8.5 out of 10. Metacritic is 100. Letterboxd is 4.3 out of 5. Rotten Tomatoes is 99%. Empire is 5 stars. And The Guardian is 5 stars. Wow, okay, that's excellent. So, a well-regarded and well-loved movie. Casablanca is third on the American Film Institute's top 100 films of all time. Interestingly, it is right down at 84 uh, out of 100 in the British Film Institute's 100 top films of all time. I'm not quite sure why there's such a disparity. I think it's a very American film. Yeah. So the film won Best Picture at the Oscars, Best Director and Best Screenplay. We'll be talking about all those aspects later. So James, you were aware of Casablanca before you watched it. What did you think it was? I mean, you knew of it. So what did you think the film was before you saw it? Well, for some reason, I thought it was about two lovers who had been separated by war, who got together after the war ended. And I knew it was set in Casablanca. Okay, so maybe that's from sort of looking at the cover or the poster. But you knew it was a love story. Yes. Okay, did you, how did you find watching a film that is this old? I think the only other real oldie that you've seen is The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And that's quite a different film. So did you have to sort of approach this in a different way? Did it seem old? It didn't seem like it would have been made now. Did you like the film, James? Uh, yeah, I did like it. Uh, I thought it was a bit confusing at some points, but it was still very enjoyable. So would you say that... Um, because you had high expectations, you know, this is a classic, an all-time classic, did that kind of reduce your enjoyment of the film because you felt you had to like it? Yeah, I feel like knowing that it was an all-time classic set the bar too high, and I went into it thinking it was going to be way better than I originally thought it was. So you watched it again, though? I did. And what was your impression after that? Uh, It was ten times better than the first watch. 
So we both saw a review on IMDb, which is called something long, something like how to watch this film or how to watch Casablanca. And it, it makes some very, very good points, which is there's so much, there's so much baggage with this film that, you know, it is a classic. It's really popular now, just as it was. And you have to sort of take yourself away from that to watch it. And I think that's what you did, James. Is that right? Uh, that is what I did. I um, took the advice and it was just way better. Okay, so the first sitting you felt almost that you had to like it and there was pressure on you to... It's one of my favourite films, but on the second viewing, it, you kind of you watched that on your own yeah. and you what, reassessed what you thought of it? Uh, yeah, it was less confusing on the second watch, probably because I already knew what was going to happen. So the film itself uh, is set in French Morocco during World War Two where citizens of Europe are fleeing the Nazis, looking to seek refuge in America. There's a valuable trade for exit visas in Casablanca, without which no one can continue their journey away from Europe that's being invaded by Germany. Rick's Café has become a safe haven for refugees, searching for exit visas to help their escape. Into this arena comes underground leader Victor Laszlo and his wife Ilsa, who we learn was once Rick's lover. Rick, still bitter from the affair, needs to decide whether he helps the pair escape the Nazis as they close in. So I want to talk about the start of the film, and I think this is the bit that initially confused you. Yeah. The start of the film really is, well, the first 50 minutes of this film, all the action takes place over one night. It begins with a huge amount of information. You're introduced to loads of characters, one after the other. Dialogue is quick. There's an assumption, I think, that you know the setting. There's a lot of information. So I'm not surprised that you found it sort of a little bit confusing. So in a way, I'm glad you've had that that second watch. There's quick-fire dialogue, especially between Rick and Captain Renault, the Claude Rains character. There's so much going on. There's there's lots of backstory to set up here. Lots of different plot strands. And it's really fast-paced. But I think that's that's really good. I mean, the whole thing is, is very efficient and, and not a moment is wasted in this film. Everyone in it's got their own agenda and Rick is in the middle of it all. So, We've got this sort of first period of the film where we kind of dumped all this information. The sort of setup involves Peter Laurie character and the uh, stolen letters of transit. Two German couriers have been murdered to get these very, very important letters of transit. We hear the news about Victor Laszlo coming to Casablanca and the Gestapo, German Gestapo, are moving in as well. And then we hear that the police are looking to capture or arrest the person who stole the two letters of transit. All of that is going on and it's all leading up to the arrival of Victor Laszlo and more importantly to Ilsa. So almost every scene in this film takes place at Rick's Café. And the cafe is alive with interesting characters and we're given this sort of brilliant atmosphere at the centre of everything at, at, at Casablanca. It's a really, really good intro to the to Rick's Cafe and the way it's shot is excellent. Right at the start of the film, we see that the camera starts on the famous sign, the, the, the neon sign to Rick's Cafe, and it moves down. And then we walk towards the entrance with loads of other people are doing the same thing and we're moving with them. And eventually we move towards it and we enter the hubbub as well. And, it, and it's great. The sort of fluid camera work and, and moving and movements, which I, it sort of reminded me of what Scorsese did in Goodfellas years mm. later, where the characters move all the way. He goes even further. He goes all the way through the restaurant and the camera ends when they're sitting at their table. Uh, it was one of my favourite shots in the movie. It feels like... Um... 
it feels like you're getting immersed into the whole hubbub and the liveliness of the cafe. I really like it how it just goes and just flows really well. Really good how it transitions to Rick and shows you the first impression of Rick. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That that intro to Rick is is excellent. He's kind of this solitary figure. He's playing chess against himself. The camera moves towards him. We don't see him in his entirety straight away. I think we, I think the camera looms on his hand. Yeah, is he kind of smoking a cigarette or, or, or something along those lines? And then we see him, and he's sort of, you know, sort of suave and charismatic. And he looks the calmest person in this environment, but he also looks like the coolest person in the movie, really. Bogart himself was nominated for his role in Casablanca. And I think the, his acting is, is excellent in this. It's kind of two roles, really, I felt. It was kind of the, the weary, world-weary, kind of cynical uh, Rick we see in Casablanca. And then during the Paris flashbacks, he's much happier, much more happy-go-lucky. And I think that uh, really helps. That really makes the, the transition to sort of the world-weary cynic far more believable and like I say there he is we've seen all the characters everyone's kind of they want to have their moment with Rick they want to sit down and have a drink with Rick but Rick never does that that's his role he seems like the celebrity of Casablanca that's exactly it that is exactly it James And, and, and there he is in his dinner jacket and he's always got a cigarette on the go everyone is smoking in the movie it's insane Everybody smokes in this film. I think, you're, yeah, absolutely. And, and and they were back then. And I, as we were watching it, I sort of thought, how does that seem to you? Because there's, well, these days there's hardly any smoking in films at all. Yeah. But you've seen, obviously you've seen characters smoking in films, but this is, I mean, this is insane. Rick's lighting up a new cigarette, you know, like halfway through a scene, he's finished a cigarette, he's getting his cigarette case out and he's, he's lighting another cigarette and everyone's smoking and all the smaller characters are smoking as well. It's just the done thing. Was it okay? I mean, what did you think? Uh, I just thought it was really weird. I've never seen anyone smoke that much in a movie. The whole of Rick's cafe is just filled with mist because of how much smoke there is. Filmmakers were, were, were possibly uh, sort of encouraged to promote the cool act of smoking in these in these films. But, you know, smoke is a very visual thing and it does aid with the lighting. It does create that atmosphere. But yeah, the cigarette as a prop, I mean, that's a very 30s, 40s kind of thing. I mean, you haven't seen Rebel Without a Cause with James Dean, but even the poster of that film, he's standing there in this kind of iconic pose and in his hand, he's got a lit cigarette. You know, it's just how things things were done back then. Nazis were against smoking, yet all of them in the movie were smoking. I didn't know that. How do you know that? I learned that in history. (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about some of the other characters. I think there are no simple characters here. I think most are pretty jaded and affected by their circumstances. And we see we are introduced to loads of secondary characters, some of whom are are only in it for a few minutes. There's a couple that Rick helps win at roulette and, and others like that. Rick is the most complex character on the face of it. He's only out for himself, but we are shown repeatedly him helping others throughout the film. There's a lot unspoken here, and I think this is why the script is so good. There's a real sense of history, for instance, between Rick and Sam, the piano player. Yeah. It's clear they've got a past together. Did you did you sort of feel that? Uh, yeah, through their relationship, you can definitely tell that they know each other and have history. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's, that, there's that scene earlier on where uh, Ferrari, who's the owner of the sort of Blue Parrot bar, he asks Rick if Sam will go and work for him. 
And Rick is so confident that Sam will refuse and he, he lets uh, Ferrari go over to Sam and ask him. And obviously Sam says, you know, no, no, thank you. And it's because their relationship goes beyond boss and employee. But it's it's implied. It's not it's not overt. But you can see you know, how Sam almost is looking after Rick. Uh, you can also tell this when uh, Rick is drinking in his bar. Sam offers him to see if they want to go for a drive. You can tell that their relationship is strong. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And you've got Elsa. Who's, who's a hugely conflicted character. She's torn between, you know, two men that she absolutely loves. You know, this is, this is a kind of love triangle and, and, and ultimately a, a sort of tale of tragic love. So the plot moves forward. We've learnt via flashback about Rick and Ilsa's relationship. We've also learnt about Ilsa's relationship with Laszlo. Laszlo and Ilsa are looking to escape Europe and the Gestapo, although the Germans want them to, to stay trapped in, in Casablanca uh, without access to exit visas. So let's talk a bit about how the film was made, James. Like I say, very different to most of the films that you've seen, shot in a very different way. As I said earlier, this is a really efficient script. There's not a second wasted, and it's a really solid, well-made film. There's nice directorial flourishes. The camera work's kind of fluid and modern, despite filming in the studio. And there's so much energy for a film where most of the people are just sitting around talking in a bar. Yeah. You mentioned that there was a scene that you liked just after we watched it where there's a use of shadow when Rick opens his safe up. So transitioning into that scene, the camera went through a wall to get into um, Rick's like oh, office. His office, yeah. yeah. His office. Then my favourite shot in the movie is when Rick opens his safe and you can see his shadow and him clearly getting out, what was it like... It's the money he has to pay back to someone. It's a really, that's a really good scene. And, you know, it shows how they're making the most of this kind of studio setting. Yeah. The film's really tightly edited as well. I was really confused because how would they edit it back then? Because they didn't have any digital editing. Okay. So not like now where everything's done on a, on a, on a screen, James, and it's, and it's edited that way. You've edited little movies and clips and stuff, you know, how yeah. all of that works. Yeah, this film is, a, is assembled by pasting together, sticking together actual film stock. Really? So, so the film is put onto this sort of on reels. The editor draws the reels out, takes the film stock out, sees where it is on his little monitor, and he slice, literally slices the film between frames That's with so a blade. Weird. And then tapes it back together, cutting out the bit. You ever heard the phrase, and it ended up on the cutting room floor? Yeah, I wondered where that came from. So that's what that means. So all the discarded footage ends up on the cutting room floor. So I think we need to talk about the song. I think we need to talk about As Time Goes By. Very significant film, very popular film, very significant song, very popular still to this day. Written by Herman Hupfeld actually 10 years before the film was released. And obviously in the film is is, uh, performed by Dooley Wilson, who plays Sam. Like I say, it's a memorable movie song, like Somewhere Over the Rainbow or or something like that. Yeah. But that's not really the important thing. The point is that this is their song. This is Rick and Ilsa's song. You know, Rick has banned Sam from ever playing it in the bar. Uh, It's unbearable to Rick because it has the power to transform him back to the time when him and Ilsa were together and in love in Paris. It's a key point of the film. The song is played in in a bar that's so important to these two people. But, I suppose with the exception of Sam, no one else knows. It's like it's their secret, but it's so significant. And I was trying to think of other films. Obviously, there's hundreds of films with hundreds of songs in, obviously. But a film where the song was a piece of the plot, where a song was so 
significant. It sort of moves the plot along. Yeah. Um, I'd kind of, I was scratching my head to be honest. I thought perhaps of uh, a modern equivalent would be something like uh, Lose Yourself from Eight Mile, but then I don't, I don't think Eminem performs that. That's just like the play out yeah, song in. Yeah. In La La Land, uh, Mia and Sebastian, they have a theme called Mia, Mia and Sebastian's theme. Okay. Where, um, Ryan Gosling is playing it in a, like a bar for Christmas and um, that's when they first see each other and then he gets fired. Because of that, they keep seeing each other and they end up getting together. So is it is it played, does he play it throughout the film? Is he playing it on the piano? Yeah, so um, he's not supposed to play it on the piano. He just starts playing it and then J.K. Simmons, who is the owner of the bar, just fires him. In Baby Driver, there is um, Easy by the Commodores and um, so his mum is singing it in the car when she gets killed so in baby driver the song is significant to the plot and in oh brother where art thou um oh yeah cool. yeah 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 go on they all perform it to get some money that's right and that becomes a hit yeah so that's part of the plot okay so there's some really good examples thanks james that's brilliant this is a this is a really influential film you know it has a kind of lasting legacy and one of the reasons why that is the case is because it has these these really famous quotes. So it's like considered one of the most quotable films ever. And the quotes have become famous and they're kind of repeated and uh, or, or parodied. Um, the most famous one isn't actually a direct quote from the film, which is Play It Again, Sam. Yeah. Uh, which I famously don't say. It's a misquote. Rick actually says, Play It, Sam. Play as time goes by. Actually, I didn't know if you'd heard any of these beforehand or if any of them were uh, known to you, like We'll Always Have Paris. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Here's looking at you, kid, which is repeated. I think Humphrey Bogart says it something like four times in the film. Yeah. And then there's Round Up the Usual Suspects, which was the inspiration for the title of the film, The Usual Suspects. Yeah. And then In All the Gin Joints, In All the, in all the Towns, In All the World, She Walks Into Mine. Yeah. Um, I've definitely heard some of those before watching it. I mean, it's a film called Play It Again, Sam, but um, which has a sort of link to, the, to to Casablanca. Rick's final speech to Ilsa uh, is, is basically littered with lines that have become quotes uh, that have been parodied or copied years after. So he says, you'll regret it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. You know, that's, yeah. that's become really, really famous and, and reused elsewhere. Like I said, he also says, we'll also have Paris. He also says, free little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. <laughs> that's been well used. Yeah. And again, he says, he's looking at you kids. And I think, I read somewhere, I don't know if this is true or not, that the he's looking at you kid was actually Bogart's idea. That was, he, he brought that. Mm. But I think it's just an example of, of, of great writing. There are other films that have lots of sort of famous quotes in them. Jerry Maguire is a sort of modern example. You have me at yeah. Hello and Show Me the Money and things like that that become part of the sort of, you know, cultural history. Yeah. I remember they were watching that in the Batman, Lego Batman movie. Oh, what? They were watching Jerry Maguire? Yeah. And it had that <laughs> famous scene in it. You should watch it. It's a good film. Yeah. It's also influential in, in the way other movies are made. So, like I said, quotes have turned up in other films. There is a film called Play It Again, Sam, with Woody Allen. There have been remakes or loose remakes. Movies with similar plots. Uh, one of them is La La Land. Okay. The ending is very, very similar to the ending of Casablanca, where they're both looking at each other, knowing that they're never going to be together. Okay. And um, in Mia's room, it has posters of Ingrid Bergman. 
and Paris is always the best place to be because um, there's a lot of references to Paris and how amazing it is in La La Land and the same with Casablanca. It's also quite significant in the film When Harry Met Sally. Mm. There's a scene in that where they're both at their own apartments, but they're both in bed talking on the phone. And it's a split screen scene. You see them both in bed and they're both watching Casablanca because it's on television. Yeah. And it actually leads to, it's quite a significant scene because he talks about high maintenance and low maintenance women. Not that you know, <laughs> not that you know what that is. This is a film that has a famous ending and it in itself ends on a famous line. So as the film moves effortlessly towards its conclusion and Rick is kind of manipulating all the characters towards being at this airstrip and this is on the basis that he's taken the letters of transit for himself and he's going to flee to America with Ilsa but actually that's not what's happening at all he lets Ilsa go with uh, Laszlo so it's really about Rick's sacrifice for the greater good he, he he sacrifices love his love of Ilsa what did you think was going to happen well I literally thought that they were going to run away with each other, leaving Victor in Casablanca. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that if Rick and Ilsa had run off and lived happily ever after, I don't think the film would be as enduring as it is. I don't think it would still be as popular as it is because it yeah. just becomes like every other love story. Yeah. That they run off and they're happy, happily ever after. Mm-hmm. But this is not that. This is something different. And I think that's why it remains so popular. And then at the very end, we have Rick and uh, Captain Renault walk off away from the camera, basically kind of discussing becoming business partners. Famous last line, everything's tied up nicely and kind of everything is, is perfect. You know, is this this is the perfect Hollywood film, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Do you think it is? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I would say that. Did they actually film in Casablanca, though? No, no, I don't think they left America. Um, they certainly didn't film in Paris with <laughs> yeah. all the rear projection. When this was made, this was just another Warner Brothers movie shot kind of almost entirely in the studio. The, the studios were churning out films like this, you know, all the time. There's some external shots, but it's mostly all in the studio. I think they shot it in order, which is unusual when you're making a film, yeah. because they hadn't finished the script. They didn't really? know, They didn't know how the film was going to end. So from like a potential disaster, you've got one of the best love films of all time. And it's true that, and I know you, you don't feel the same way about it as I feel about it, but it is considered a classic. And you, they, they didn't think so when they made it. And I think that's a really important point. No one knows that they're making a classic movie. Yeah. Just like the second time I went into it, I went into it thinking it wasn't a classic. Yeah, exactly. make it more yeah, enjoyable. Watch it as a film, you know. What was your favourite scene? I suppose the end scene when he's talking to Ilsa. It's just the two of them in the frame. And it's so simple and he, ha- he sort of says his speech. The camera cuts between the two of them and, you know, she's she's genuinely emotional about it. Probably that, James. Yeah. I would say my favourite scene is the Paris scene because it feels like that like five-minute segment could have been a movie in itself. Yeah. Starting off with they're in love and then war breaks out and they have to... She leaves him. Yeah. In the rain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right, actually. That is, yeah, that is in itself its own little story, isn't it? Yeah. I think the whole thing still works brilliantly. In my mind, it puts a lot of modern movies to shame. I think it's there's something about it. It all came together, you know. 
some of it wasn't working at the time. I don't think they necessarily enjoyed shooting it, you know, those sorts of things, but it's all come together. Yeah. And it's just one of those films, you know, really, really popular. I love it. Having rewatched it, I won't be, uh, won't be moving it down my list. It's still <laughs> firmly, firmly in it. Who was your favourite character? Apart from Rick, or can I say Rick? Cause that, uh, you can say Rick. I just think it, he's such a charismatic character and he's not, one-dimensional he's sort of fully formed character you know you don't actually know what he's going to do next or or, or um, how he's going to deal with the situation but actually the way he does is always the right way yeah my favorite character is definitely sam <laughs> okay he, he's just so nice and charming he just seems like the type of person you want to be friends with yeah definitely they make a good team yeah so what i've got a question for you why do you think it's still so popular today probably because it's just so influential so many movies just reference it and it's also really witty and clever yeah some funny jokes in it actually aren't there yeah it's got a good mix of romance drama and comedy yeah i wonder if that's it i wonder if it's just it delivers on all the things that people like and you know to be honest people do like a weepy you know he's lost the love of his life and i think that's yeah um that that that's why it's so enduring i think it hasn't made it to your top 10 then james uh, no, but definitely top 100. Okay. <laughs> so you're sort of the uh, the BFI versus my AFI. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is, that, is that how that was? 84 for you and three for me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. You can follow us on Twitter at Talking Film. That's talking with no G at the end. And subscribe to You Talking To Me Film Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time, James. See ya.